First thing I want you guys to know is um, if you're not able to be here one week, that is a-okay. Uh, what you do is you just shoot me a quick email saying, I won't be able to be here next time. Um, and what you can do is you can go online and you can get the material for the week that you missed. You can listen to the audio for the message and then you can get the handouts for the lesson and you can get the outline and everything else like that. So um, what we want to do is we want to make this so that if you weren't actually able to be here, um, everything's available for you just the same as if you were here minus the food. So um, that's the first thing. And what happens is Allie sends out a, Allie or Rachel sends out a, um, a link in the week to everybody who's in build and you get the link and it points you to the materials. So if you weren't here, um, you don't have to go digging for it. You just follow Allie's link and it takes you right where you need to go and you have everything there, okay? All right, so uh, what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk first about the purpose of build. And before we talk about the purpose of build, we'll talk about what build actually stands for. Um, just let me see a show of hands if guys in here who know or think they know what build stands for. Hey, that's pretty good. Okay, becoming united in leadership disciplines. So what we wanna do is we want to um, grow our understanding of what leadership disciplines are so you're more equipped to be a leader in your own heart a leader in your own home and a leader in this church and so there's gonna be a progression that you'll see uh, as we talk throughout the year and it's gonna be shepherding your heart so you can shepherd your home so you can shepherd in the body of Christ and so um, what we're doing here is we're talking about how we have a common understanding of, of how we go about doing that and um, this is going to be how we help men just grow in their ability to shepherd their heart and shepherd their home with truth from God's word. So um, the commitment here is that we want to help guys understand exactly how you do that. You do that by um, faithfully reading the word, faithfully coming before the Lord in prayer, uh, faithfully memorizing scripture and meditating on that scripture and applying it to your life. And we do that uh, because the men who are skilled in shepherding their own heart and their own home are the guys who are equipped for ministry in the local church. Um, the last thing we want everybody to do here is to kind of play leapfrog over their heart and run after ministry. Play leapfrog over their home and run after ministry. Uh, ministry is really, really good, uh, but the ministry starts with ministering to your own heart, and then it continues with ministering to your home, your household that the Lord has given you. Uh, if you're married and you have a family, um, that's your household. If you're single and you have roommates, that's your household. If you're an empty nester, I'm almost an empty nester, that's your household. Um, you shepherd your heart, then you shepherd your household, and then uh, you're ready to shepherd the church of God. And uh, then the guys who are, are well-skilled and they're well-prepared and well-informed on uh, how they can shepherd their own heart and their own home, they're also qualified to pursue more training here at Grace Bible Church. We'll talk about it a little bit here of what that training looks like. This is BUILD, and BUILD is kind of the, the first floor of training for guys here at Grace Bible Church. And like I said, it's all about learning how to shepherd your own heart, how to care for your own home, because it's that kind of man that we want to be learning more about Scripture at a deeper level. And so we have other courses. We have other presentations for guys. We have the trust that comes next. We have a, the trust, and it's a, a place where we have the guys come together every week. Some of the guys here have been through the trust, some of them more than once. Um, you come together every week with SMED, and you learn how to study the Word. And you keep applying the truths from build and shepherding your heart while you do that. And you learn how to preach the Word. 
And if you've been through trust, you know what it's like to uh, stand up in front of the guys that went through it with you and you preach your 20-minute sermon at the end of the year. You go up to Dave Bauer's house in the mountains and you, you preach and everybody has a good time. Uh, so it's a really good place, but that's the place we go if you are well-equipped in knowing how to shepherd your own heart. And beyond the trust, we have a, a program here called Shepherdology. And it's an invite only, just like the trust is. And the idea there is for guys who have been through the trust, uh, we talk more at a higher level about what happens in ministry and, and how you actually minister in the church. And it's more of a conversation standpoint where you sit down together with guys and you talk about uh, ministry, the, the ins and the outs and the realities of ministry at a church. What is hard, what is easy, what are principles to use as you're shepherding people in your small group, as you're shepherding people um, in different ministries in the church. So that's what shepherdology is. And then the third one that we, we offer to guys that, that you've heard about a lot recently is the Expositor Seminary. Um, that is starting up, that started up a couple weeks ago. That is seminary level training for guys who have pastoral ministry in view. Good morning. No worries. Um, so those are the, the, the levels of training we have here for the guys here at Grace Bible Church. But it starts with getting a good grip on how to care for your heart. So um, what that does is, is Build also serves as a, a good way for the leadership at Build just to identify, uh, the leadership at this church, just to identify who the guys are who are good candidates to, to move on to other levels of, of training here at this church. And so what we're going to be doing here is we're going to be looking at, at how Build works, but I want you to know that, that um, there will be an assessment of, of how the guys participate in Build. And what happens at the end of the year is um, there's um, a recommendation that's given to SMED uh, for all the guys who've done well in here, those are the guys who are well qualified to move on to the next one. And the, and the way we do that is by looking at the, the participation here and by the, um, the homework that's done and by the, the involvement in discussion groups, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. So if you don't have a notebook, your notebook is out on the table outside, but if you don't have one, make sure you get one on your way out. It has your name on the front, has the build picture, and has build at the bottom. And if you have your notebook with you, um, I would ask you to open it. It should be empty, uh, except for three dividers. And we're going to walk through uh, what the notebook looks like. And first thing I want to help you understand is we recognize that we're uh, well into the second decade of the 21st century. We understand that. And notebooks are sort of like the fifth or the sixth decade of the last century. Um, and, you know, what? I got to be honest with you, the... Um, I don't write much anymore. The only time I write is when I write my build homework and I write a check. That's about the only time I, I write. <laughs> What's a check? Yeah. They're those rectangular things. You can get them at Walmart. You can get them online. Yeah, what do we do with that? Um, so like I said, those are the only times I write. I'm trying hard not to write. Um, what we want to do eventually is we want to um, move build to be more electronic. We always want to have the guys, give the guys the option of doing this. If you're very comfortable in holding one of these and holding a pencil and holding a sheet of paper, um, that is really, really good. One of the things we're, we're convinced of is that when you're writing something on paper with graphite and a pencil and a piece of wood, um, you actually have to think a little bit harder sometimes when you're writing something when you don't have the ability to erase it and write it again. Um, so there are some benefits to doing this, but I want you to know that in the future, I think we're looking at, at right ways, good ways, practical ways, helpful ways to make this electronic. So we might be on the tail end of, of uh, all the hard copy stuff. Um, so it's been working well for a long time, but um, 
like I said, we're in the, well into the second decade of the 21st century. I know that. Um, but these are for us, and what we want to do is just look through them right now. And we're figuring out how to do this electronically as well. But uh, the first section is going to be um, called outlines. What we're going to do here is every time we give a message, the message is going to have an outline. Someone's going to teach, and if you have one today, um, your packet today, should, you should see it. There is an outline. Um, and if you don't have one, we'll give you a chance to get one at the break here when we're, we're done. Um, the outline is the outline for the, the teaching session. And what we do is we give you a place to record that and hold that and keep that so that you can refer to it um, in the future because we hope it's helpful for you, not only for today, but into the future. There are going to be 15 of those, so we have a section for that. And uh, so that's where you keep your outlines, and that's where you keep the teaching. Um, I'm going to be teaching probably the majority of the classes, but you'll get to know some of the other elders as well. Josh is going to teach a couple of times. Matt Kelso, his brother, is going to teach a couple of times. Eric Martin's going to teach. Uh, some other guys are going to teach as well. Denny Pagel's going to teach. So we'll have an opportunity to hear from other guys. This is where you put your outlines. Uh, then the next section is the homework. That's empty as well. Every time we have a lesson, we have some homework for the lesson and you get the chance to fill out the homework. And the idea there is not, what did you get for answer number three? The idea there is to be sharing what the Lord has taught you as you are looking at his word and going through the homework. And so we have a place for you to keep your homework. Um, when you're done with the homework, you bring the homework in the next week and you hand it in to your discussion group leader and he will read it and, and uh, kind of assess how you're doing and uh, he'll give it back to you the following week after that. So the idea there is that that's a way to help your discussion leader understand how you're doing in your own heart and understand what's going on. Uh, he reads your homework so that he can be praying for you. He reads your homework so he can encourage you. He reads your homework so that he can be a part of your life and function the way believers are supposed to function together in the body. So um, that's what the homework section is for. You're going to get your homework back, stick it in there so you can refer to it um, later because... And the following week, the homework will have one question that refers back to last week's homework, so it's good to have it on hand. And then at the back, we have a section called Resources. And the main thing there we want to put in there is a reading plan. And if your section is empty, I think Ali sent out, um, in the registration, you were able to indicate whether you wanted just um, the new inserts or whether you needed a whole brand new notebook. And from what I understand, Ali has... Um, made it available for you to get all of the resources if you need them. Um, did anybody see that when they were signing up and registering? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you have those. I didn't actually have to register because I didn't register. But <laughs> what we have here is in the back, the main thing back there is reading plans. And one of the goals of Build at Grace Bible Church is if the guys are not already actually on a plan where they're reading scripture in some sort of systematic way, um, we want to provide you with opportunities and helps in doing that. And we have several different reading plans listed there. Um, and so as you look at them, you can see there's a bunch of different ones. Um, there's a chronological reading plan. And what that does is that takes you chronologically through the Bible from creation to um, the very end of scripture. And that's a good plan. Um, one of the things about that plan is that you have a very good understanding of how the Bible fits together in a linear progression of time. It's a really, really good plan for that. One of the issues with that reading plan is that you don't get to the Gospels until October. You start reading your Old Testament, and you're in the Old Testament for nine months of the year. And um, it's really, really good to understand how the Old Testament works. It's a great plan, 
except that the gospel doesn't come around into view until the end of the year. Um, but it's a really good plan to do once in a while if you haven't done it. I did it with my wife a couple of years ago and found out that about halfway through the year we thought, you know, we're going to just supplement it with some other things. And so we supplemented it with a little bit of gospel reading as well. But there's a chronological plan that's really good. Uh, there's the 52-week Bible reading plan, if that one's in there. Um, that is a reading plan that gets you through the Bible in 52 weeks. If you want to read the Bible in a year, you can follow this plan, and it will get you through it in one year. I've never actually done that one. I know people who have, and they've said that, that it's a really good plan. Uh, there's another one, another reading plan that's very good. It's pretty popular. It's called the McShane reading plan, and uh, it is going to take you more time than most other reading plans, but it is really, really good. Uh, it has usually three or four different threads that you're reading at the same time, and those threads are very closely related to one another. It's uncanny. When you read it, you realize you're reading three-quarters of the way through your Bible, and you're also in a thread that's a quarter of the way through your Bible, and it's the same topic, it's the same subject, it's the same issue a lot of the time. And uh, it's a really, really good plan, and a lot of guys have used it. It does take you more time, and it takes you through different passages of Scripture more than once in a year. Uh, so you read all of Scripture, but I think there's two or three different places that you read more than once. So that's really good. Because if you're north of 50 like me, your memory doesn't work as well as it used to work. You need to see things a couple of times a year. Um, so that's really good. There's a bunch of other plans as well. My favorite plan is the um, Discipleship Journal reading plan that's put out by the Navigators. And I like that plan because it has four different threads. Uh, you read through the Old Testament left to right. And as you're reading through the Old Testament left to right, you are, um, you've got one thread that does that. You've got another thread that's reading through the poetry and the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. So you're in Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Songs and, and all of those books um, in another thread. And then you've got a third thread where you're reading through the Gospels, and it takes you a whole year to read through the Gospels. So you only read six or eight, ten, twelve verses from the Gospels every day. And then um, the fourth thread is reading left to right through the New Testament, starting at Acts and moving through Revelation. So you read all the letters in your fourth thread. It's really, really helpful. I really enjoy that one. Um, that's my favorite one. It's the one I'm using right now. And the really good part about that plan is that it only has 25 days of reading a month. And so if you get behind, you just use the last six or seven days at the end of the year or whatever to catch up. It's really, really gracious. It's a gracious reading plan. It gives you lots of catch-up opportunities. And I've used that one. And I really like it. My wife likes it as well. Um, or the last opportunity is possibility is to brew your own reading plan. Um, come up with a design that you want to use, that you can implement yourself, that works for you. Something that has the amount of scripture that, you, that works well in your life, that has, uh, requires the, the amount of time that you have to work with, and, uh, but that's consistent and it's helpful. It's something that you can implement, something you can do. Uh, we are all for you brewing up your own and um, working through that in the way that you do as long as it's something that has a, a direction, it has a purpose, it has a, a goal of keeping you in front of the Word. So that's what those are for, um, those resources. Those are there to help you just understand. Um, we've got options for you. If the idea of reading through the Bible in a year sounds daunting, browse through the options and think about them and um, come up for yourself with a plan that will help you stay in the Word. Um, the most important thing you can do for your heart, the most important thing you can do for your life is to keep reading God's Word. Because God's word is how he reveals himself to us today. And so if we want to have a biblical view of life, if we want to have a biblical view of our circumstances, um, we want to do that by reading through the word regularly. Okay? 
All right, so um, that's the goal there with the reading plans. So what I want to do now is just talk through what a typical build Saturday will look like. Um, it'll be one that where the air conditioning is set lower than it is today. Um, so, George, are you, can you check the... Is George in here? George is not in here. George, yeah, let's do that. You guys mind if we open the door? Let's open the door and, um, George, can you see if you can touch it down a little bit? All right, thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to get in here and we're going to sweat every other Saturday morning. And that's the first thing we're going to do. Um, but actually, after we, we start sweating, we're going to just stand around together for 15 minutes and eat food. 6.45 to 7 o'clock. And like I said, the reason why we, we plan that is not because we don't think you can't feed yourself, but the reason for that is it gives you a forum to talk together with one another. And it gives you an opportunity to ask each other how you're doing. It gives you an opportunity to get to know guys uh, better. Um, so we're going to spend uh, 15 minutes, hopefully, just getting here and talking and eating food. And, and uh, as I mentioned to the food, we're going to see later there's a sign-up sheet, or a sign-up, this part is electronic. There's a sign-up link for everybody who's here to bring snacks. Um, what we want to do is we want to have um, us get to know one another really, really well. And one way you can get to know one another is by understanding what kind of food somebody brings on Saturday morning. Uh, you learn a lot about a guy by what he brings. You mean our wives. Yeah, that's the other thing. You learn a lot about their wives, okay? Um, and it's A-OK -okay whatever you choose to bring. It can be brown with a lot of sugar on top, or it can be green and grow on a tree, um, and anything in between. Down there at the other end of the hall, they generally have more healthy food than we do, and that's okay. Um, yeah, so... So... so um, what we're going to have is a, there's a sign-up link. I think Allie sent that out, or she's going to send it out every week, I think. Um, and what we have there is an opportunity for two guys each week to sign up to bring snacks. Uh, there's about 35 of us, and so each of us, if you bring, uh, you sign up, you bring enough to, to feed 15 or so guys. Um, it's a good opportunity for us to just spread the wealth around a little bit, and everybody can sign up. So, um, okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to eat food. I have a hand. Yeah, I mean, you say snacks, but I saw natural this morning. So are we bringing breakfast or are we bringing snacks? You're bringing whatever you want to bring. Okay. Uh, I told my wife snacks. She went way overboard. Okay. This is this is going online, so I have to uh, do this. Sign up online. Right. Only. Right. It says bring up for about 15. Okay. And um, But it just says a simple snack. Yeah, the uh, the bar was put way too high. So <laughs> when you're when you're thinking about this, we're gonna lower the bar. You're okay with the bar. Where are the bars? Uh, the idea is bring um, bring whatever you'd like to bring. Bring whatever you want to put in other guys' bodies. That's that's good. Um, and the main idea is just, um, again, giving you a forum to sit down and talk with guys. And it's very helpful to have something to eat while you're doing that. But yeah, bring something, um, whatever you wish. By the end of the year, um, everybody knows everybody pretty well. And, and it doesn't matter what you bring. Um, you know, and the idea is bring something, and it doesn't matter. So, um, and if it's brown and has lots of sugar on the top, that's good. And if it's growing on a tree, that's good too. So um, either way is fine. What we're going to do after that is we're going to spend about 10 minutes talking about the disciplines. So 
from about 7 o'clock until 7.10, 7.15, we're going to talk about the disciplines. And what that is, is about 10 minutes for me to just share different strategies that I use and that other elders use to make our time alone with the Lord an effective one. When you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I've got my Bible, I'm supposed to be reading that, okay, I've sat down, it's open, um, how do I pray? How do I read my Bible? How do I engage with the Lord? Uh, what do I pray about? What should be in my prayer life? What should I be thinking about when I meet with the Lord? We're going to take 10 to 15 minutes each time we meet to talk about that. Uh, if you've been here before, you've seen what that's about. Um, the whole idea here is just to help us grow in learning how to care for our own hearts. And so we're going to take 15 minutes to do that. And the idea there is not to assume that nobody knows. The idea there is just to share things that are helpful. And as things are shared that are helpful, hopefully that can help you grow your own walk with the Lord. Um, so we're going to do that for about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. Then what we're going to do is we're going to break up into discussion groups. So a discussion group is going to go from about 7.15 to about 7.50. And that's where, um, if you have your sheets with you, you should see how the discussion groups are, are uh, broken out. I think. Here it is. It looks like this. You have this one. Um, there are some other guys who've signed up more recently, so what we'll have to do is we'll have to get a fresh copy of this. I'll update this and get Allie to make another one by the next time we get together. If your name isn't on there, that's okay. We'll get it on there by next time. What we're going to do there is we're going to sit down for 40 minutes, 35 minutes, something like that. And the idea is to share with one another uh, what the Lord taught you as you were working through the homework last time. What the Lord taught you about your own heart, what the Lord taught you about himself, what the Lord taught you about leadership in your own home, whatever your, your household looks like. So that when you're together, uh, the guys are growing and they're, they're understanding what that looks like. What I want you to do is, is open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, and we'll get at the biblical basis for this. Ephesians 4, 16. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and this is the church where Paul spent most of his time. And Ephesus is a church that Paul pastored. He founded the church. And Ephesians is the letter that contains the most dense, concise explanation of the gospel. You read Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, and you get the full picture of how God saves. And so Paul is writing to a, a mature audience. He's writing to an audience that that he has spent good time with. And uh, he writes to them and he warns them about what is taking place in the world around them, what is taking place in their culture, what is going on there. And um, he has some stern words for them about the function of the body. We're going to read in verses 14 through 16. And Paul says, We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. Um, those things are present in Paul's day. Those things are present today. But speaking in the truth and love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So the idea there is we are to grow up. What we're going to see in verse 16 is, is God's design for actually how we accomplish that growing up. I want you to look at the first part of the verse, and then look at the last part of the verse, and then look at the middle part of the verse. 
things great here. And so the first part of the verse, Paul says, he's talking about the body of Christ. He says, from whom the whole body, so Paul mentions the whole body at the beginning of the verse. And if you jump to the end of the verse, he says, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the body at the beginning of the verse causes the growth of the body at the end of the verse for the building up of itself in love. That's God's design. When you look in the middle part of the verse, you see actually how that happens. It happens when the body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. We want to have an understanding here that if you are a member of the body of Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, a saving relationship with Christ, and if he is your master and he is your Lord, you are a joint in the body. You are a joint in the body. And that verse there helps us see that the joint supplies. The joint supplies to every other joint. So you picture a big circle and dots on the circle, and you're one of those dots, you're one of those joints, and you have a line to all the other dots. And you supply to them. That is God's design. And the next part of that verse helps us understand exactly more about how that happens. According to the proper working of each individual part. That is the function of the body and the function of the individual. When he comes together with others, he's going to be working and functioning properly. And the way he does that is he shares what God is teaching him in his life. He shares about his experiences and what his reading of God's word does to help him understand those experiences and interpret those experiences right. He talks about how the Lord has comforted him. He talks about how the Lord has counseled him through his word. He talks about what his prayer life is like. That's the purpose of the discussion groups. Um, it's to sit around in a circle and talk with one another. The body is building up the body as each part is functioning properly, supplying to the other joints what is needed. And God in his wisdom designed the body to work that way. He didn't design the body where each one of us is fed by our own personal servant angel. He gave us one another. Um, and that is the best design that God could have because that makes each one of us dependent on the Holy Spirit to grow us and make us competent and make us capable in our walk with the Lord so that we can share with one another. So as we prepare ourselves to help one another, the way we do that is we, we're growing ourselves. So that's the design that we have here at Grace Bible Church. That's what we really believe. That's why we do um, discussion groups. And if you're going to join this discussion group, and if you're, you'll see the list of names there. there. There might be some guys there that you know, but there might be some guys you don't know. Um, the encouragement here is we're believers. We're part of the body of Christ. We have more in common with one another by the, the virtue of the fact that we're believers than anything else. And so this gives us an opportunity to um, just share well with one another. And it's natural that your sharing is going to grow deeper as, as the year goes on. You know, it's, it's natural as you get to know guys, and that takes time, that your sharing is going to grow deeper. So we understand that, and we, we understand that there's a natural process involved in that. Um, you'll notice that there are three discussion groups, and they're led by three of the guys who are sitting in this room. David is right here. He's writing. But that's David. And uh, if you don't know David, you'll get to know David, if you, especially if you're in his group. Uh, Doug Klingenberg is over here. Doug and I have known each other for a long time. Doug was my first friend here at this church in 2003. That was a long time ago. Doug was already here. Doug's a good guy. Um, you'll get to know Doug well if you're in Doug's group. And then Steve Walker is right here. Steve leading a group, and I'm going to be sitting in Steve's group with him. And uh, Steve and I have known each other for a while, a long time. And he's known my son. And Steve has had a really good influence on my son, especially about 10 years ago. So these are guys who love the Lord. They love God's word. And they're committed to the body. And um, 
when you're in these groups, um, just remember that your function, your goal is to be functioning the way God intended for you to be functioning. Okay, so we talked about all of those things. Uh, we talked about the food. Oh, the other thing is the cleanup. Uh, we're in here, and, and we're guys, and you know we leave our footprints when we're in here. This sheet is really important. This is the cleanup sheet. Uh, 26 hours from now, 27 hours from now, there's going to be seven-year-olds sitting right where you're sitting right now. A bunch of them, like 30 or 40 of them sitting in here. And uh, we got to put this room back together so that it's ready for them, so that they can be taught and they can be trained. And we got to clean up the mountain of food that's, that's out there. Um, so what this does is this helps us understand exactly how we do that. So we see that we got to take care of the coffee pot, and that's very important. We got to take care of the hot water, that's important too. There's cold water, and uh, the tables and chairs refers to all of this right here, um, and the tables. Oh, the tables are referring to the food tables out there as well. And then there's trash and how to handle that and how to handle the paper products. Uh, the way we decided to do this is to split it up by discussion group. So today, if you're in David's group, um, it's going to be your privilege to clean up this place to make it ready for uh, the kiddos tomorrow. So, um, and then we'll just rotate through Doug's group and then Steve's group, and we'll just keep it rolling. And that way, this place is, is made ready for um, the guys who are going to be here tomorrow morning. So uh, stick that away in your notebook and don't lose it because we need to get good at cleaning up in here. And that's how that works. Okay, so we covered that. We covered sign up for snacks. Um, oh, the homework. Right. So I think I said a few words about the homework. Um, again, the idea with the homework is not uh, making sure everybody got the perfect answer for number three. The idea is it gives you space on a sheet of paper this year to write down um, what the Lord is teaching you as you're working through the lesson. Um, it should take you 30 to 45 minutes um, to go through a homework assignment. And so over the course of two weeks, 14 days, that's probably not too many minutes a day to do that. Um, the idea there is to be prepared to, to sit together with the other guys and to come ready to uh, share what the Lord is teaching you. Probably a good idea not to work on the homework the night before. Because a lot of times the homework will have something for you to be doing over the course of the two weeks or so until our next meeting together. So at least take a glance at the homework and know what, what's on it. Um, and if there's times where it says, you know, talk to your wife, talk to your roommates, talk to your parents about an issue of something in the home, we don't want you to be thinking about that on Friday night at 10.30. We want you to be thinking about that earlier. Okay, so that's all that's about. That's an explanation of what we have with BUILD. That's the reading plans. That's the homework. Questions about that? Okay, this is really good. All right, what I want to do is um, I want to talk for just a minute about Church Community Builder. Um, we have an app here at church called Church Community Builder that is actually very helpful. It's a good communication tool that we have. And there are a ton of groups within that, that application. And it's a communication tool that we use. And we're going to be using that to communicate um, most of our stuff. The, the, um, the, the note that I sent out a few days ago, I used CCB to send that out. Um, if you don't have um, an account for Church Community Builder with Allie, it's going to be helpful for you to get one. Um, so check with Allie and get yourself an account for CCB. Um, what that does is that allows you to just function really easily. You can go into the application, and some people can tell you more about it than I can, but it helps you understand who's in the group 
It helps you read all the messages that are sent. It helps you um, learn about the needs. It helps you, it's a place where you can sign up for our, our snack rotation and everything else like that. So if you don't have an account, get with Allie and she'll give you an account. And uh, there's a, an app that you can download onto your iPhone or your Android phone called Lead. And Lead helps you get that app and gives you access to CCP. And it's on your phone and it's just very helpful as well. Um, so two things to, to be thinking about that. Um, one is the getting an account to CCB with Ali, and the other is to finding LEAD, capital L-E-A-D, and um, that just helps you stay in touch. That's probably our first steps towards moving away from paper and uh, getting this into the 21st century. So, There's a couple of apps that have the capital LEAD, several apps that use email with each one. It's the one that's blue. That's good. It's the one. Yeah, it's blue with three circles. Some of us already have it. I'm looking at it now. It's got a big circle on the right, two little circles on the left. That's the one. It's actually very helpful. So I use that to talk to my small group whenever I communicate with my small group. I have a small group thing. If you're in the over 50 lunch group, there's a group for that, and there's a group for the elders, there's a group for NGM servants, there's a group for the guys who prepare communion, there's groups for everything here at this church. And um, you get membership into those, and you get membership into those. It's very helpful to communicate. So. All right, uh, I think we plowed through that pretty quickly. Everybody okay with the idea of what we're doing here and why we're doing it? All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a 15-minute break. Okay, the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church. And I want you to keep in front of you is this fairly simple phrase that we have in front of us. That is that a biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. Biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. So today we're going to spend a fair amount of time talking about the vision, and then we're going to spend a fair amount of time talking about the purpose. So those really are the two things we're going to look at. So if you aim at nothing, um, you can't expect to hit any kind of target in life. If you don't have an aim, if you don't have a, any kind of aim, you won't hit your target. And if you aim at the wrong target, um, you certainly won't can't expect to hit the right target. And your only hope for hitting the right target or the right goal in life is to know what that target is and to aim at it and run after that with all of your might and all of who you are as a believer. And so that's what we want to do as a church here. We don't want to not have a target and we don't want to aim at the wrong target. Um, we want to be aiming at the right target. So we've tried to make sure that we have the right target for you to direct your energies towards here at Grace Bible Church. And we cannot strive for that in our own strength. Um, our natural influence, our natural flinch is to strive at this with all of what is in us and to rely first and foremost on ourselves for running after whatever direction it is that we've chosen to go. But there's something that's much better for us. There's something that's much stronger. There's something that's much more powerful for us than any of our own strength. And that is God's word and his spirit strength within us. And that is a much better vehicle to get where we want to go than our own strength. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we abandon the wisdom of the culture that's around us. Um, a business uh, a culture that emphasizes trends, that emphasizes what is popular, what is attractive today, what works today, what is hot today. Um, we want to abandon that. Um, what we want to do here is put our strength and our confidence in what God has told us is the best vehicle for us. 
And um, this vision and purpose statement for Grace Bible Church actually functions as our target. Okay, and it's a tool we use that helps us aim at the right target for this church. We actually use this in, in all the ministries that we have at church. When we think about next generation ministries, when we think about build, and when we think about some of the other ministries I mentioned, or when the ladies down the hall think about Wellspring, or when the leadership thinks about any ministry, we have the, the vision, the purpose of Grace Bible Church in mind. That is our target for just about everything we do. When we think about communion and how we do communion and why we do it and how we serve it, and we think about giving at this church, we think about lots of other things. This purpose statement, this vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church, this target is what informs the way we do things. And so this vision statement, this purpose statement, is what summarizes what the Bible says in its entirety. It's not the complete scriptures, but it is a summary of what um, scripture is aiming at. So what we want to do is we want to grab the main theme of the Bible and hang on to it and run hard towards it with everything that we can. And that is that a biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. So you'll notice that this begins rather broadly. It begins with a very broad idea of a biblical vision. And then it narrows down to our purpose. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to look at that. This book that you have in front of you, this is the Bible. This is the entire Bible. Um, and it contains the gospel. It contains the gospel in it, but it has much more than the gospel. It has creation. It has the end age. It has everything in between. It has the story of Israel. So it contains the gospel, but it contains much, much, much more than that. Um, so what we want to do is start by focusing on the entire Bible, and then we want to narrow down and see what we have um, that will lead us towards our purpose after that. So what we're going to be looking at in the biblical vision of God is three things. We're going to be looking at the glory of God. We're going to be looking at the cross of Christ. And we're going to be looking at life transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. You notice those are the three members of the triune Godhead. So when we have a biblical vision, we are going to be looking at that in three persons of the Godhead. So we'll start by looking at each of these and biblical vision of God. And we want to ask ourselves what we mean when we say vision. What are we talking about when we say vision? Um, we chose to use a word from the sight family of words because it relates to how we actually see. And by vision, we mean what we want to see in the God of the Bible. We want that to inform the eyes of our hearts and our minds. That sight of him that we want comes only through what Scripture displays about God himself. And so we want Scripture to be our leading authority here. We want Scripture to be what informs us. It's a biblical vision. We do not see God or have a vision of him from any other source. We want Scripture to be what informs our vision of who God is. And so what we're going to do first is look at the glory of God, and then we're going to look at the cross of the Son, and then we're going to look at transformation through the Holy Spirit. And the word glory in your Bible is a really, really flexible term. It's a term that um, is used in many different contexts. And the main idea we want to communicate when we talk about glory is weightiness. Substance, something that's substantial, something that's weighty, something that is splendid, something that is impressive, and something that's overwhelming. So that's what glory is when Scripture uses the word glory. When it's applied to God, it means that God has weightiness. And he has a worth that's beyond measure. God has a splendor that we can't comprehend. 
God is more impressive than we can imagine or understand. God is overwhelming. And in regards to God in Scripture, God appears to communicate or manifest his glory in connection with his radiant brilliance or terrifying light. God communicates his weightiness with his brilliance and his light. And there's a sense in which God's glory is that which he uses at special moments to reveal himself to man in a way that man can actually comprehend and reveal and surprise and survive. And so what we're going to see here is that God's weightiness is actually beyond man's ability to survive if he encounters it. John 1.18, God says, Jesus says, No one has seen God at any time. Back in the Old Testament in Exodus 33, um, God is telling Moses, as Moses is in the cleft of a rock, No man can see me and live. So what we want to understand is that there is a weightiness to God that is more than we can comprehend and more than we can actually survive if we were to encounter the full total of it, the full sum of it. When Moses was meeting with the Lord to receive the Ten Commandments, he was dropped to his knees by what he saw. And when he returned back to Israel, he was glowing. He was radiant. And that was God's glory that he had encountered. He was bringing that back. And it diminished over time. So that's the idea we want to look at. And what we want to see here is that our Bible is tied together with the glory of God. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, Moses is preparing to take Israel through the wilderness. And look at what he says when he is talking to God. Moses is talking to God. Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses says, I pray you, show me your glory. Moses knows that God is weighty. He knows that God is substantial. He has already received the Ten Commandments. He says, show me your glory. Moses shows up again in the context of God's glory, but in the New Testament this time, in the Transfiguration in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 3. Jesus is on a mountain. He's got Peter and James and John with him. And Moses and Elijah are there as well. And I'm going to read verses 2 and 3 in Matthew 17. And we can see that the glory is there. Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. So Jesus is displaying the glory of God. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them and were talking with Jesus. So what we see here is that we see God's glory on display in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manifestation of God's glory. Back in the Old Testament in Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah is recording an encounter that he had at the beginning of his ministry. I'll read some verses for us there that help us understand the weightiness of God's glory. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 6, uh, starting here in verse 2, he says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. So he's lofty and he's exalted. In verse 3, And one seraphim called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah sees the glory of God in a vision in the temple. 
The author of Hebrews tells us in the New Testament that Jesus is the manifestation of the glory of God in human form. He tells us in Hebrews 1 verse 3 that Jesus is the radiance of his glory. He's the exact representation of God's nature. So when we see Jesus and when the disciples saw him on the mountain in Matthew 17, they saw the manifestation of God's glory. What we want to take away from this is that the glory of God is the central theme throughout Scripture. God puts his glory on display early on when he meets with Israel and when he begins his relationship with Israel. And the glory of God runs all the way through the Old Testament. It runs into the New Testament, all the way through the New Testament to the end of the New Testament. When you read Revelation, you see the glory of God on display when all of the creatures and the angels are singing praise to God They're recognizing his glory. So the glory of God is a central theme in Scripture. And so what we think about is, what difference does that make to us today? We can take this away and we can say, okay, that's good. I understand that. I think I've got that. But what does that mean for us? And what it means is, when we sit down with our Bibles, let's not rush into just the reading of the Bible. Let's prepare ourselves. Don't rush into action at the expense of adoration. Prepare yourself to adore God. Prepare yourself to contemplate God and to meet with God. Position yourself daily before the Bible to drink in and take in the glory of God. When you've got a reading plan, it can be tempting to say, oh, I've got four chapters to read today. I need to get going. I need to start reading this. And there is some truth to that. But we need to weigh that with the abilities and the responsibility that we have of actually comprehending God's glory as we're reading the Bible. So as we're reading our Bibles, we should be asking ourselves, what is impressive about God in this passage? What is significant or substantial about God? When you read about miracles that Jesus is performing in the Gospels, or you read about what God did in the conquest as he brought a nation of slaves into the Promised Land, what does that tell us about the impressiveness of God? When you read about the the age of the prophets, or the age of the judges, or the ages of the kings in the New Testament, should be asking ourselves, what does this tell me about how substantial God is? Moses was desperate to see God's glory before him from the passage we read in Exodus 33, and we should be too. When we sit down with our Bibles, we should be saying, Lord, would you reveal to me your glory so that I can comprehend you and I can understand you? All right, so that's the first thing. So Scripture tells us to set our eyes on the glory of God. But it also tells us to set our eyes on the cross of Christ. And the two are actually more related than we understand. Um, The weightiness of God, the impressiveness of God, and the radiant brilliance of God in Scripture actually is inseparable from the cross of Christ. We want to take a few minutes to look at some passages that will help us to see this. So we've been talking about Moses. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses goes up to the mountain and a cloud covers the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, uh, the Lord called Moses from the midst of the cloud. And the eyes of the sons of Israel who were down below, um, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. As Israel looked up, they saw Moses up in the, the mountain, and they saw this cloud, and it appeared to be a consuming fire. And so this mountain is quaking under the weightiness of God. And 
What, what the Lord was doing was he was giving the law to Moses. And through the Mosaic law, God revealed that he wanted his glorious presence to actually dwell in a tent. So Moses comes back, and over the course of the next coming weeks and months, as Moses reveals the law to Israel, one of the things that he tells Israel is God has a glory, and he actually wants that glory to dwell in a tent. And he wants that glory to dwell in a tent among us. And so Israel is faced with the reality that they've got this God that is this glory that is more weighty than that they can comprehend. But they're also faced with the reality that God wants to dwell among his people. If you read the first couple of chapters of the book of Numbers, you see that God has a design for how the nation of Israel is to position themselves around the tabernacle when they're moving through the wilderness. God has specific instructions. I want you to put my tabernacle in the middle, and I want you to put three tribes camped here, three tribes camped here on the south, three on the west, three on the north. God is located in the middle of the people of Israel. And God is telling Israel, I want you to understand that my glory is bigger than you can comprehend, but I want you to be near me. And I am going to have a tent. It's called a tent of meeting. I'm going to have a tabernacle where my glory will reside with you. And so that's what um, God does in terms of putting his glory in close proximity to Israel. But what he did as we see this is that he's got this tent, but we'll see that this tent is very closely tied to the cross. Um, God wanted his presence to dwell in the tent right in the midst of Israel, and God prescribed that in that very same tent, the blood of an innocent substitute would be shed in the place of worshipers. So in the place where God's glory is residing, uh, that is a place of bloodshed. Okay, the priest goes in to offer sacrifices. First thing that he does is he offers sacrifice for himself, and then he offers sacrifice on behalf of the rest of the nation. So we've got to understand that, that God is very concerned about Israel understanding his presence and his glory, but at the same time, that's tightly, closely tied to uh, sacrifice and bloodshed. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 40, and we're going to see that. We're going to look at the very last four verses of Exodus, and we're going to read straight through into the beginning of Leviticus. And what we're going to see is the idea of God's glory juxtaposed right next to the idea of a sacrifice. So I'm going to start reading in verse 34 through the end of the book of Exodus, in Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. So there's the idea of God's presence, God's glory. The cloud is there. God says, you follow me when I move. When I don't move, you stay. You are to be with me. You are to be near my glory. Throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire on it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel, period. Keep reading as you move into the book of Leviticus. And notice the first word in the book of Leviticus is then. So there's a continuity there. This is, as Moses is writing, this is a stream. This is a stream. We tend to think in the Old Testament, oh, you've got the book of Genesis, you've got the book of Exodus, you've got the book of Leviticus. This is continuity. The 
the, the first sentence in Leviticus follows immediately after the last sentence in Exodus. Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd of the flock. And if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. Without defect. Okay, that's important. We'll get back to that. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and he may be accepted before the Lord. So there is an offering that makes you acceptable uh, when, you're when you're talking about the presence of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. Verse 4, Leviticus 1.4, He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull. Remember, this is a male bull without defect. He shall slay it before the Lord. Aaron's sons, the priest, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Exodus ends with the radiant glory of the Lord on display. You can't miss it. Everybody knows it. Israel is following that glory, that cloud, that fire as it moves. And Leviticus begins with the blood of an innocent substitute in a tent, the same tent where the glory resides. Okay. So the takeaway there for us is God's glory as it's put on display for Israel, is tightly coupled to a blood sacrifice. So there's a, a fusion that's taking place. There's a, a coming together of two things, glory and a substitute's blood. And that reaches its climax at the cross of the ultimate substitute, Jesus, where he shed his blood for the glory of God. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 24 through 26. Let's turn there. This is going to be good for us to look at because we'll see how these things come together in the person of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And again, the author of Hebrews is writing to a very Jewish audience. This audience has the more clear understanding than we have of the history of the Old Testament. They understand the tabernacle. They understand the glory of God on the tent. They understand the sacrifice inside the tent much, much better than we do. So the author is writing to that kind of audience. And he says in verse 24, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one. So he's saying Christ did not enter the, the physical tabernacle. He did not enter that. But instead he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. The high priest was going in on a continual basis, <laughs> offering sacrifices continually for Israel. Drop down a little bit towards the end of verse 26. But now once at the consummation of the ages, Christ has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice, sacrifice of himself. What this means is you can't talk about the glory of God without inevitably getting to the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Christ has been manifested to put away sin. He puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You can't talk about the glory of God without getting to forgiveness of sin through the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. You can't talk about the glory of God without expiation, without the putting away of sin through Jesus' shed blood at the cross. You can't talk about the glory of God without adoption, talking about adoption that takes place through Jesus Christ's shed blood on the cross. All of these things point to an innocent, perfect substitute. 
And so there's one phrase that we want to help us become very familiar here with in build that helps us understand the gospel. And that is a three-word phrase called penal substitutionary atonement. I want us to be understanding this and be thinking well about this. When we think about the gospel, and you think about a way to summarize and encapsulate what the gospel is about, be thinking about penal substitutionary atonement. The first word is penal. It talks about a penalty. That there is a penalty that must be paid for the sin against God. Because God is, is holy, infinitely holy, any sin that's committed is an infinite offense against him. And he is a just God, and he has a right response of wrath to that sin. That is his right sin, and there will be a penalty because of God's justice in light of sin. So we never lose sight of the fact that the bad news comes first in the gospel. The word gospel means good news, but it starts with bad news. And that is that there is a penalty for your sin. And that is that a holy God is, is angry and is offended by sin. But the second word is substitute, substitutionary. And that is that this penalty can only be paid for by an innocent substitute whose name is Jesus. This penalty cannot be paid in full. It cannot be satisfied. That, that debt cannot be met by any substitute other than the perfect innocent substitute whose name is Jesus. So you've got the penalty and you've got the innocent substitute. And the last word, the atonement, talks about what is accomplished as the innocent substitute pays that penalty. And that is atonement. The shed blood at the cross atones for our sin. And atonement is an encapsulating word that speaks of several different things. Atonement covers the issue of expiation, the removal of our guilt. It talks about propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath. And it talks about reconciliation, how unification is brought between the sinner who was once removed from God and now is brought into a close relationship with God. It talks about adoption and lots of other things. So you've got penal substitutionary atonement. That's the main thing we want to keep our eyes on here as we think about the gospel. So we ask ourselves, what difference does this make with us every day as we think about it? What difference does the, the fact of the cross of Christ make to us as we think about our relationship with the Lord? And I'm going to have to speak louder, aren't I? Um, okay, so let's do this. The, the conclusion there is that we need to position ourselves before God's word every day, not only to take in God's glory, but we also need to position ourselves to um, drink in and gaze upon the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. We absolutely need to do that every single day. So when you sit down and you're opening your Bible and you're meeting with the Lord, in addition to contemplating the glory of God and his magnitude and his majesty and everything else, what we want to do is we want to be considering the cross of Christ and exactly what it was that he accomplished on that cross for us. A really, really helpful thing to start your prayer life is to remember the glory of God and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made in your place and that the only reason you can be having the conversation that you're having with the Lord is because of the cross of Christ. The only reason you can speak to God in peace from the context of a peaceful relationship with God is because of the cross of Christ. Paul gets at this in Galatians 6, verse 14. Write down this verse. Paul says, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul has one boast and one boast only, and that boast is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because that is what God has used to bring the sinner into a relationship with himself. So we want to be thinking carefully about that. And so when we're spending our time alone with the Lord, we need to be thinking about that. But not only does that affect our, our thought processes, we're spending our time in the Word, 
that should affect our thought process as we spend our time moving throughout our day. Now, most of us guys are working, we're busy guys, a lot of us have families, a lot of us have kids, a lot of us have parents that are going into a, an older season of life. Um, the cross of Christ should be our primary counsel as we encounter every situation that the Lord has, has prepared for us. If you're going to go home today and you're going to home, go home to a, a house full of little ones, praise God for those little ones. But your shepherding of those little ones needs to be informed with the cross of Christ. That you can shepherd them with good principles of truth only because God has reconciled you to himself. Um, if you're going to be engaging with your parents as your, your parents are moving into an older season of life and they're starting to show some of the frailties of that, um, what we need to do is we need to counsel our hearts that the only reason why we can serve our parents is because God has reconciled us to himself. If we go into a difficult work situation, we need to counsel ourselves with the cross of Christ, saying that regardless of what is waiting for us at work, whether it's a very challenging situation or we're in a good situation, a, a productive, fruitful season of life at work, the only reason why we're doing that is because we have been spared from what we deserve because of the cross of Christ. So we need to allow the cross of Christ to inform us in any avenue of things, when we're considering a purchase, when we're considering any kind of service, when we're considering any kind of debt, the cross of Christ actually has to inform us in our thinking about all of that. So we want a biblical vision about the glory of God. We want a biblical vision considering the person of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we want to consider the transformation of life by the Holy Spirit. Do you actually know what Scripture says is the primary work of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune Godhead. And a lot of times, in my mind, and I look back on the last 30 years or so of my relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit has been the junior varsity. The Holy Spirit has been the third member and the forgotten member of the triune Godhead. But the work of the Holy Spirit is actually pretty astounding. And I'm going to read this word for word because this is really, really helpful for me. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about the new birth that then ushers us into a life in which we are capable of pleasing God. Bring about new life, which ushers us, new birth, that ushers us into new life in which we're capable of pleasing God. Before Christ, before conversion, before the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we had no capacity to please God. The primary work of the Spirit is to bring about new birth that moves us into a season of life, a place of life, a condition of life in which we can please God. Titus 3, verses 5 to 7. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing and the renewing are done by the Holy Spirit on a believer. They're done on a person who's dead in their transgressions and sin, and that washing and that renewing is the work that makes that person able to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. They're able to walk in newness of life. The Holy Spirit has another function, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. That is to seal the believer. This is a wonderful passage. If you ever want to get encouraged, just read Ephesians 1. Talk about what God did to save you. The Holy Spirit seals the believer. He becomes a pledge of our inheritance. Verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. That means the Holy Spirit powerfully preserves us and reserves us for heaven in which we will be completely free from our sin. So there is a preservation today, and there is a reservation for the future that takes place. 
So we can think very well about the Holy Spirit and what it does for us in the future. But the Holy Spirit actually does a lot for us today. And it powerfully enables us, especially in the battle against indwelling sin. And it does that by giving us transformation of life. I want to read Romans 8, verses 10 through 13. And as I read this, just listen to what the Spirit does for the believer. Romans 8, 10 through 13. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what this makes clear is the believer has an obligation to live and make use of, make utility of the ability that the Holy Spirit has given them to walk in newness of life. If you've been at our church for any period of time, you've, you've walked through the first few chapters of Romans with us. And as Scott was teaching through Romans 6 and Romans 7, the, the unmistakable message there is that the believer has the ability to walk in newness of life. My favorite verses in Romans 6 are verses 4 through 6, where it talks about how if we're united with Christ in his death, we're also united with him in his resurrection from the dead. And we now have the ability to walk in newness of life. So that's what we want to celebrate here for the believer, is that they have the ability to walk in newness of life. And so what difference does this make to the believer as we think about um, meeting with the Lord and our relationship with the Lord when we're reading our Bibles? This actually has really big implications for us. And, and it gives us an opportunity to marvel at the work that God does in the record of Scripture and how he saves and transforms people through the work of his Holy Spirit. And we have an example from that for you from the Old Testament, and I have a couple examples from the New Testament, where you see people who were clearly lost in their sin, and then you see what God does as he changes them and gives them new life. So what I want to do is ask you to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. And our first example is King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, and they had come in, and uh, they had hauled Israel away into captivity as God was disciplining Israel for their disobedience to him. And we're going to be looking at verse 34 together. But in the, the opening verses, the first 30 or so verses of that chapter, you see a very proud king. You see a king who thinks that he is indestructible, who believes that all of his success is from him, who believes that he deserves worship, and he's very impressed with himself. You'll see as you read through the chapter that God brings him into a period of seven years where he became like an animal and he had lost his sensibilities as, as far as being a human is concerned. And he was out in the weeds, he was living among the grass, he was growing hair and feathers on himself. Um, and he writes in Daniel 4, verse 34, at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. So this is a man who was very full of himself, and the Lord made him very low. He raised his eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. That did not come from him. He didn't think of that and decide to do that himself. There was a work done in him that brought him to that point. I want to take a look at a couple examples from the New Testament. Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night in John chapter 3, and Nicodemus is without a clue. He has no clue. Um, 
Jesus tells him, you know, you must be born again. And Nicodemus comes to him and he asks him, you know, uh, how can a man be born again? Does he enter his mother's womb a second time? Nicodemus has no idea what is happening in John chapter 3. Nicodemus shows up a little bit later in John chapter 7. But then in John 19, Nicodemus is right there at the burial. John 19:39. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds weight. Those details are there and they're important for us. What they help us understand is that Nicodemus understood the majesty. He understood the kingship of Jesus. He understood those things about Jesus. And he didn't come to that understanding on his own. See, back in chapter 3, he had no idea who Jesus was, no idea what Jesus was, was teaching. So that's a New Testament example. Another New Testament example is the, uh, the example of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus was a very, very wealthy tax collector who had sold out to the Romans. He was robbing Israel. He'd become wealthy off of Israel. And Jesus saves him. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Those are two examples from the New Testament. So when you're positioning yourself in the Word of God and you're reading the Word of God and you see people coming to faith in Christ, marvel at the work of the Holy Spirit to make them new. It's a little bit different when you're looking at the work in the Old Testament as you were versus the New Testament because we know that the Holy Spirit was not dwelling permanently in, in believers, in saints in the Old Testament. But there was a regenerating work that was taking place within them. So when you're meeting alone with the Lord, beg God, ask God, plead with God to help you understand um, how valuable and how important the Holy Spirit's work is in a believer's life. Have him grow your affection for the work that the Holy Spirit does. Have him grow your hatred of grieving the Holy Spirit that's within you. Um, and so what this does is this leads the believer to worship. It leads them to affection for God. So that's the first half of our church's vision and purpose statement. We want to understand the glory of God. We want to understand that it's closely tied to the cross of Christ. And we want to understand that the work there is um, that was done by Christ results in a transformation of life by the believer when the work of the Holy Spirit is applied to their life. And that believer now has the new ability to walk in newness of life. None of that is tied to a program. None of that is tied to um, some phrase that we came up or something that we came up with here to make our church attractive. What we want to do is we want to rely on the word because it's the best vehicle for, for expressing who God is and for seeing God who he really is. So that is the, the broader view. That is what we see as our vision of who God is. What we're going to do is narrow it down to our purpose and how we respond. Um, and so what we're going to do is talk about our purpose. And as you look through scripture, you can see men had different purposes. In the time of the flood, Noah had one purpose. That's not our purpose. In the time of King David, David had a purpose to establish the nation of Israel. That's not our purpose. Um, lots of different things. Lots of different people have purposes. So we ask ourselves, what is our purpose? What purpose are we obligated to? Um, what we have to recognize first and foremost as believers is that being a Christian is not about God yielding himself to our purposes. Instead, it's ourselves yielding God to his purpose. It's about us serving him rather than him serving us. So we need to die to our own purpose. And we want to see three ways in which we do that. And that is drawing in, building up, and sending out. And if you just step back, you would think the drawing in is all about us coming up with a really great plan to get people here. We've got this great building. 
We've got this wonderful campus. We've got these great programs. We have this really dynamic elder board that you really need to come and see. <laughs> you know, we've got this awesome campus. Um, you would think that that's what you do to draw people in. We have a fog machine in our church that is better than anybody else's fog machine, right? Um, and you're going to love that. Um, yeah, it's all about the fog. No. Um, what we want to understand here is drawing in is not about us luring people into this church. It's not about us with an advertising campaign. We're not handing out gas cards for people to come here. Um, here's the thing. Turn in your Bibles to John 6, verse 44. This is where the drawing is, okay? The drawing is not in things that we do. John 6, 44. This is actually a very, very challenging passage. Um, not interpretationally, but just challenging to the heart and what this really means. Jesus says, John 6, 44, No one can come to me, no one can come to me, unless the Father who sent me draws him. So we can't come to Christ unless the Father draws that person to Christ. So drawing in has to do with the Father drawing people to Christ. Acts 13, 48. This is during Paul's first missionary journey. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many has been appointed to eternal life believed. There was an appointment to believe where God had marked a day, had marked a, a position in time in human history, and the people were appointed to salvation on that day, and the Lord was drawing them to him and saving them on that day. So the takeaway here, what the New Testament makes very, very clear, is that in the gospel mission of Jesus Christ, we preach the gospel, we call sinners to repentance and faith in the gospel, but sinners are drawn into a saving relationship with Christ, ultimately because of God and his sovereign work that he does. And he does it through our preaching, our speaking of gospel truth. So what's important for us to remember as we carry out our gospel purpose is that this drawing in is the saving work of God. It's not us coming up with a strategy. Drawing in is God's saving work. And it's very important that the drawing in, what is the focus of the drawing in? It's that Jesus crucified is God's powerful object of attraction. We talked about lots of other things that the world likes to use, the contemporary movement likes to use to attract people. Jesus crucified is what God uses to attract people to himself. John 12, 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Jesus draws men to himself. Himself as a substitutionary atonement in their place. <clears throat> so drawing in is not primarily about us developing ministry programs in which we draw in attenders. Drawing in is about the gospel message being preached and allowing the truth of the gospel to be what draws people to, to God and to himself. So when are we most satisfied in ministry? We are most satisfied in ministry not when we get numbers. Um, yes, this church is a much bigger church than it was 15 years ago. There's, there's some people in this room who were here 15 years ago when I was. And there was a time when, when we knew every person in the church because there weren't very many people here. And today, our membership list um, and our regular attender list is 700 people long, from the littlest of the little to the oldest of the old. There's more than 700 people who come here. Um, but we're not about numbers. That's not what satisfies us. What satisfies us is when the gospel is preached and people are drawn to the Lord of the saving faith. That's what we want. And if there's nine people here, we're wonderfully thankful for that. If there's 900 or 9,000, we're thankful for that. So what difference does this make for us every day? 
Um, it has implications in your own household, in your own home. As you share the gospel with your children, with your neighbors, your coworkers, remember that they're dead in their sin and that they need to be drawn. And the only way they can be drawn is through the power of the gospel itself. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Smed taught on this a few weeks back. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God to draw in is the word of the cross. These people need a power beyond your friendship and your wisdom and your logic. They need your friendship. They need your wisdom, but they need a power beyond that as well. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. So that's important. It's important for us to maintain our friendships with people. It's important for us to build contacts of relationships. It's important for us to build trust with people. All of those are a big part of it. But ultimately, when you talk about the lost being one to Christ, they're one to Christ by the power of the gospel. And think about it in your own life. Think about how it was that you came to Christ. Yes, the Lord uses people. He uses circumstances. He uses saints to, to bring you, to position you, to work out his plan. But ultimately, what saves you is the message of the gospel itself where you look at your own life and you say, I absolutely need a savior. And the way that was made clear to me is by the preaching of the word. So root your satisfaction and your desire for the greatest things. And the first is that drawing in is drawn in, is accomplished by the preaching of the gospel. Okay. Two page nines. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to look at building up. All right, building up. It's important to understand how building up happens here at this church. We want to understand how drawing in and building up and sending out relate to one another. We understand that the drawing in is really the drawing in of the the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit as the gospel is preached. Um, What we want to look at is once a sinner is savingly drawn in by the gospel, that believer now needs to be built up. Um, our goal is not to accumulate people in this church. Our, our goal is to make disciples and to build people up. Um, building up takes place on two levels. It takes place individually as we spend time deepening our relationship with the Lord, strengthening our understanding of Scripture, growing in our affections for the Lord. So it takes place at a very individual level, and it takes place at a corporate level as well. And what I want you to do is write down Ephesians 4.16, which is what we talked about in the intro this morning, that the whole body causes the growth of the body when each piece and each part being fitted together properly is functioning according to its design. So the individual and the corporate aspects of the growth of the body don't compete with one another. They actually work together with one another. That as we strengthen our own relationship with the Lord, we become more equipped to minister to the body as a whole. They don't compete against one another. They actually work together. So we need to understand that the building up of the body accomplished is accomplished first and foremost as we grow our own relationship with the Lord and then enter into fellowship with the body. God didn't save us onto islands. He saved us into the body of Christ so that we can function together with other people. And if you think about your small group, if you're in one, um, you think about how the goal there is to come together and to talk to one another about your, your relationship with Christ and to build one another up from that. Um, so that's what we want to do is we want to understand that the building up happens at a personal level and then as you enter into the body of Christ, you take the fruit of that to, to make it happen at a corporate level. And so the difference that it should make for us every day is to think carefully about how we, we think about both of these issues. 
Do I think carefully about the building up of my own life personally with the Lord? Am I making good plans to meet with the Lord on a personal level every morning, every day, multiple times throughout the week? But then on the other side of that, am I making plans to engage with the body and bring the fruit of what I'm learning and how I'm growing into my household and then into my small group or into build? You guys are always doing that because you're here, but whatever else. So that's what we want to be thinking about is how do I grow myself individually and how do I grow this body that I'm a part of corporately? And so that's what building up is all about. And so we see that the individual and the, and the corporate sense of building up one another, assist one another, and, and they, they work well. And lastly is the issue of being sent out. The third part of our purpose is that now that a, a believer has been drawn into the body of Christ, and then that they've been built up, that person actually gets sent out. And we want to understand that this is not just something we grabbed either and said, oh, it would be good to send people out. If you look at your Bible, you look at the fact that God has always been ascending God. I'm going to read some passages to you that start at the beginning of Scripture and move left to right, where we can see that God is ascending God. God is talking to Moses in Exodus 3, and he says, I will send you to Pharaoh. Exodus 3.10, I will send you to Pharaoh. So God is sending Moses. Isaiah, when he's seen the glory of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, Isaiah said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? So Isaiah hears the Lord contemplating who he should send. And who will go for us? Then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Same thing is true with John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verse 6. John is writing about John the Baptist. And he says, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. John was born of an earthly father and an earthly mother, but he was sent from God. So we see from the Old Testament into the New Testament, God sends people. And you can just do a search on the use, send, the use of the word send in the Old Testament. You'll see that God is sending people all over the place. But when you get to the New Testament, you, you consider the person of Jesus, and he too was sent by the Father. Consider how many times the word send or sent is used in the Gospel of John in reference to Jesus by himself, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. John 4.34 is one example. Jesus said to the disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, right? So Jesus was sent by the Father because God is ascending God. The Holy Spirit was also sent. John 14.26, Jesus is in the upper room and he's talking to the disciples and he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Jesus also refers to his disciples a couple of chapters later in John 17 as sent ones. He's re referring to the Father and he says, Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, the disciples. So Jesus sends the disciples into the world. When we think about ourselves, we think about the fact that all throughout Scripture, saints are sent by God. Jesus was sent by God. The Spirit was sent by God. The disciples were sent by God. So what difference this should make for us is that we should view ourselves as sent ones. And that should shape the way we, we view our circumstances of our lives. That should shape the way we view our ambition about work and our plans for a career. That should shape the way we think about our saving. That should shape the way we think about how we use our time. That should shape the way we think about leisure and exercise and, and rest and all of those things. 
All right, I'm going to say something here that I think is, is really important. Ascending God and ascent Savior and the Holy Spirit who sent others to preach the gospel to you won't save you and make you exempt from being sent as well. Um, there's none of us here who are exempt from being sent. And sending looks very, very different for each person in a different chair in this room. It looks very, very different. But what is true is that every single one of us is a sent one. Um, if you have a family and you've got lots of little kids, you are sent to those kids. If you have parents who are failing, you are sent to those parents. If you're in this church, you are sent to this church. If you're teaching in MGM, you are sent to those shorties who desperately need the gospel, right? So the, the, the mission there and the message there is to consider yourself as a sent one. See yourself as a sent one in every place you are. I've had conversations in the last week with people who see their workplace in the place where they are sent, and they are extremely fruitful for the Lord just because they see themselves as a sent one. And they walk a very careful, narrow line at work. And it's hard. It's hard to be productive. It's hard to be useful to your employer. But to be, have a mindset that says, I want to be a sent one in this place. Um, so take that in mind. All right. So notice that in all of these things, the drawing in, the building up, and the sending out, the gospel is central in all of them. Don't lose sight of the gospel, that God saves sinners unto himself so they can be sent out. He draws them in. He builds them up through their own work here and their study in the Lord so that he can send them out. And so what I want you to do is to understand that that's what that looks like. So we have a biblical vision of God that leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. And as believers in Jesus Christ who live together in the church called Grace Bible Church, when he, we set our sights on the great God of Scripture, he will lead us to a very purposeful and fruitful life. So that is our message on the vision and the purpose of Christ and the purpose of this church. And if you have any questions about that, I'd love to talk about it more uh, afterwards. So let's pray. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for the privilege and the freedom to meet together. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that you are a God who saves. You draw wretched sinners to yourself so that we can be built up and we can be sent out to accomplish your purposes. Thank you, God, that you are a glorious God. And you gave us your son. And he went to a cross where he would die as a substitute for all of those who would put their trust in him. And thank you, Lord God, that you didn't just save us, but that you actually transformed us as you applied his work through your Holy Spirit so that we can live and walk in newness of life. We can speak differently. We can act differently. We can grow. Lord, I pray for each one of my friends here today that you would grant them your grace towards that endeavor. Lord, I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.